Gates for what he's doing out in the world. Our various missionaries. Speaking of being on mission, we are still on mission in Gary, Indiana. Uh, over these past uh, four to six months, we have seen six more young people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I think that's worthy of God's praise. We're thankful for the power of the gospel and what it's able to do in the lives of those who hear and believe. Also, a quick update with the more and better at the Gary campus. Uh, we do have a brand new uh, parking lot in the back, and I'm so grateful for that. No longer stepping into mud. Come on, give God some glory for that. Can't mess up those church shoes, you know what I mean? Can't mess those up. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obey, either of sin which leads to death or, or, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were com committed, and having been set free from sin, I become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Father in heaven, God of all grace and mercy, we come before you, God, because without you we can do nothing. And we Acts, we request this morning, God, that you would take us deeper into your love, that we may not leave the same way that we came in. Will you conform and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, that your name may be glorified. If you believe that, I dare you to say amen this morning. Amen. You may be seated at this time. This is at least my third or fourth time preaching before you um, as being the campus pastor at Bethel Gary. You guys know how I get down. It is illegal. Not to talk while I'm preaching. If I don't hear an amen or something, uh, we may be here a little bit longer than anticipated. So if we all do this together, I think that we will make it. Amen. amen. There you go. All right. All right. We ready. Yes, sir. On August 31st, 1962, a group of young African Americans involved in the civil rights movement traveled to the Sunflower County in Mississippi to attempt to register to vote, says Jamar Tisby. They were denied and returned to the bus under the discouraging darkness of discrimination. He goes on to say, traveling back undoubtedly shaken with the fear and disheartened in despair, one brave young lady started to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Everyone joined in the song, and they were strengthened to keep on going just a little bit longer. Who was this young lady? Fanny Lou Hamer. Sister Hamer was born on October 6, 1917, into the ugly world of sharecropping as the youngest of 20 children. Air sharecropper... Her family endured many trials due to this new form of slavery dressed 
in the wardrobe of partnership. Despite the lack of opportunity in education in the midst of daunting obstacles, Hamer would go on to be one of the most influential civil rights figures. She dedicated her life's work to the Student Nonviolence Coordinating Committee. Over her career, she endured much suffering, but continued to let her light shine in a dark place. Celebrated for her involvement in the civil rights movement, her greatest contribution is the model she gave on the Christian life, a Christian's life and suffering. As the Apostle Paul shared, for it has been granted to you, that's us Christians, for that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Fannie Lou was deeply educated in the school of suffering. Touching on her civil rights work, one author noted that such bravery came at a high price for Hamer. She was fired from her job, driven from the plantation she called home, arrested, shot at, beaten so bad in Mississippi jail that she suffered permanent kidney damage. She knew she was called to suffer for the cause of Christ. We live in a day that is increasingly hostile to the Christian gospel. As Karen Ellis said or noted, we are moving from being American Christians to realizing that we are Christians in America. We are realizing we are aliens in a strange land, and that means living in the context of suffering. There will be horrible things done and said to us, but we know, as with Fannie Lou, that our suffering has been granted to us. And our suffering has been granted to us by God. We know it will be used for his glory and the good of others. <clears throat> Friends, what is it about the Christian that enables us to endure suffering? What in the world would enable black Christian slaves to sing in the midst of their suffering, producing rich Negro spirituals? What would cause a guy like William Tyndale to embrace the flames instead of retiring his pen from translating scripture? Why would Paul say in Acts, but I do not count my life of any value at all or precious to myself, only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is this light in our souls when we are engulfed by darkness? What has quenched our thirst after enduring the many daunting obstacles of life? How do we make sense out of all the situations that should have killed us? And when the smoke clears, we are still standing with our joy intact. Yeah. Friends, what I believe and want to make plain today is that these Christians had concluded that their lives were not their own, but to Christ they belong. In our text today, Paul wants to articulate theologically what we see these saints had experienced experientially, namely that all of us who have been united to Christ are slaves to Christ, 
All of us who have been united to Christ are slaves of Christ. Friends, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. Paul wants and needs us to understand that when a Christian is called to Christ, he is not called to sin or to live for him or herself. Why would Paul need to explain this? Well, for one, many had interpreted Paul's teaching on grace as freedom to sin. But Paul is no antinomian. What's that? Well, Pastor Steve has already been teaching on this. It means one who is obsessed to the law or one, I mean, one who is opposed to the law or one who is a complete libertine and one who feels he should have no restraints now that he's a Christian. Now, I know we're in church and we got to act a little bit holy, but some of us, we used to think like that, that now that I'm saved, hey, grace got me. I can do what I want to do. It's sort of like when you take your kids to that Chuck E. Cheese party and they give them how many tokens? They give them 10 tokens. You get 10 tokens. I tell my kids, don't come back to me after you use up those 10 tokens because I'm not going to pay for them. Once they run out of their tokens, that's it. And sometimes we see God's grace as those 10 tokens. I got 10 tokens to do the sin that I want to do, and then God is going to forgive me. But Paul is like, no, that thinking is absurd. We know Paul was combating this because of the question raised in verse 1 of this chapter. Shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue in seeing this rhetorical question is for all those who reason that because a person has been saved out of sin by grace, that a person could go on sinning after salvation because God will graciously forgive them. And what's Paul's reaction? God forbid. Why is this absurd, Paul? What have we been learning in summary, church? The Christian is in union with Christ. He shares in Christ's death to sin and his resurrection to life. God has broken the power of sin in the Christian's life. God has broken the power of sin in the Christian's life. God has broken the power of sin in the, you're not getting excited enough. God has broken the power of sin in the Christian life. Amen. Let's go home. But you guys didn't come to church for that short of sermon. Some of y'all like you speak for yourself. So the true Christian cannot live a life of habitual and repeated sin, although he does do acts of sin. What is Pastor Steve said? When Jesus died for our sin, we die to our Ah, you've been listening. When Jesus died for our sin, we died to our sin. What God has done in us is incomprehensible. God has broken the power of sin in our lives. However, up to this point, Paul has only fought half of the theological battle. He has defeated the antinomian camp. But here comes the legalist out of the corner. A legalist is one who wants to put the Christian back under the Mosaic law for salvation. That's justification. And the legalist wants Christian living to be under the law, which is sanctification. 
he would say a person has to keep God's law or be a good boy or good girl to get saved and to remain saved. He adds work to God's system. You remember that old illustration, right? The legalist would put the ladder up to heaven and the Christian has to clam his way up to heaven, clam his way of getting right with God. But no, the Bible says instead of us clamming up, God came down in his son, Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad he came down. Why must Paul prepare to defend the gospel against legalists? Because of what he said in verse 14. You would think that Paul is picking fights. Look what he says. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. The legalist is like, hold it there, buddy. Hold fast. You're not going to get away with that one. If people, Paul, if people are not under the law then they are not accountable to anything. This inevitably leads to lawless living, right, Paul? Remember earlier in Romans, they fought with him about the necessity of the law for justification, but now they want to argue the necessity of the law for sanctification. And what do legalists fear about this phrase? We are under grace. What do they fear? We are under grace. They believe that no one can live a godly life without rules. What can restrain them if there is no law? This is like asking for all the traffic lights to be removed, Paul. You're asking for chaos. Surely, Paul, Christians need more stop signs and more speed limit signs in order to live righteous. But they don't understand the power of grace. They don't understand the power of grace. Illegalists don't understand a believer doesn't need more rules after receiving a new heart and being filled with the Spirit. So let me give you a picture of this, and then I'll let Paul explain it theologically. Uh, I already mentioned the epic guys that got saved, and four years ago we started that ministry. And when we started that ministry, we made a group of rules that we called the Code of Epic. And the Code of Epic had all the rules that these guys had to follow. And you better believe that they followed it the best that they could because they did not want to be able to play basketball. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. And so, and so we used basketball as both a treat and in a way of restraining them to do what we needed them to do. And so they would abide by the rules. But as we kept preaching the gospel, as we kept showing up, as we kept loving them, some of them got saved. And you know what I noticed? That outside of church, they started respecting one another. There was no rules to tell them. There was nothing to instruct them. But they started loving each other outside of the church. No law, no rules, no code of epic. What has happened to them? They received a new heart. And they receive the Holy Spirit. Without any rules outside of the church to tell them what to do, they did it. I didn't tell them about antinomian or legalist, none of the big fancy words, neither. Therefore, Paul says this in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are, under, because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. In Paul's mind. 
It is crazy to think that a Christian will desire to use grace as a license to sin because a Christian desires to be holy. Christians desire to be holy. We are not forced to be holy. We desire to be holy. Now explain it to us, Paul. Well, because slaves obey whoever is their master. Look at the verse. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? You pay careful attention. Paul doesn't come to us with anything complicated to explain the Christian restraint from sin. He doesn't use quantum physics. Instead, he uses this slave and master language. We must understand how Paul is using this slave and master analogy. Because a slave in a master's relationship can work in two ways. One is a relationship of obligation where you are forced to serve your master. The second, is you are, the second is you willingly choose to serve your master because you love your master. I believe Paul is talking regarding the latter. We either serve God out of love or we serve sin out of love. We either serve God out of love or we serve sin out of love. But here's the thing. We cannot serve two masters. God and sin are diametrically opposed. Do you remember what Jesus said in the gospel? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that principle expands over all kinds of categories outside of money. Friends, it is simple. We will either love sin or we will hate God. We will either love sin or we will hate God. Now, many of us might say, Dexter, I love God. And I hate sin. God over sin any day. Hold up, buddy, before you get ahead of yourself. I know you think you're holy and you're righteous. But Paul makes something clear here. And he says, hold fast. Because what we serve is both the identification of what we love and the verification of who's our master. Let me say that again. What we serve is both the identification of what we love in the verification of who's our master. In other words, Paul is saying, if you want to know who you belong to, watch what you do, not what you say. And you can be sure, whatever you obey is the very thing that has your heart. Paul is talking about a heart issue. And what did Jesus say earlier in Matthew 6, 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is, where, where, is wherever your treasure is, whatever you love the most. That's where you are. This life isn't about can we follow rules more than what can our hearts follow. Now let's be real. 
I know we're in church and we seem to get amnesia when we come to church. But can I take you back historically for a moment? Do you remember your relationship with sin before you got saved, before God filled you with the Holy Spirit? All of us were in the dumpster when God found us. We were deep in our mess, deep in our sin. And what was sin doing to us but bossing us around like Jafar? Y'all like, who is Jafar? How many people remember Aladdin in here? You remember Aladdin, the movie Aladdin, the flying carpet, Aladdin? And Jafar was a mean guy, and he finally got a hold of the lamp, and Genie became his servant. Whatever Jafar wanted, Genie did. Genie, Jafar's wish was Genie's command. Jafar told Genie to run. Genie said, how far? He told Genie to jump. Genie said, how high? Well, you may be looking at me crazy, but you too used to be ruled by Jafar. And when sin said run, you said how far. When sin said jump, you said how high. We were all running after lust and, and money and anger and all of these bitter and, and, and drunkenness. All these things were running us. We all had a Jafar in our life. No matter what we did, it was never enough. We were never satisfied under the rulership of Jafar. He treated us horrible. No matter, no matter what we did, it was never enough. Jafar became the all-consuming goal in our lives. It didn't matter what it cost us, neither. Jafar came in many forms. He may have came in money, and if it was money, then the passion of our lives became money. If it was sex, then sex became our slave, became our master. What was our limit to serving Jafar? Well, according to verse 15, we were willing to serve Jafar unto death because sin leads to death. But thanks be to God that we have been resurrected, we have been rescued from Jafar. Thanks be to God that we have been rescued from Jafar. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be out of that lamp. I'm glad to be free from sin's deception. I'm glad to be free from sin's lie. Thanks be to God that we're no longer confined to Jafar. And instead, we have been set free to do what? To serve God. To serve God. Christians obey God because God is our master. Christians obey God because God is our master. I'm trying to preach it like I feel it. Look at the verse again. But thanks be to God that you who were once a slave to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You see, something has happened to us. Something has happened to us. Something happened to those epic guys. Something happened to these Roman Christians that Paul is writing to. Something happened to Paul himself. What happened? Whatever that has happened is because of God. Paul stands back. He almost goes into a doxology and he begins to thank God. Paul thanks God for the sovereign grace that was shown to these Roman Christians and bringing them out of slavery into salvation, which is found in Christ Jesus. We have 
been set free from the power of Jafar. And friends, whatever we are, whatever we have became, we owe it all to God. Can we pause for a moment? I know we like to get this theologically and we like to get it in our heads, but this morning, can we get it down in our hearts in the way that causes us to worship God? Paul stops for a moment and says, thanks be to God. It costs God everything to set us free. It costs him everything. Kristen, did you hear me? It cost God everything to set you free. He sent his only son to free us from Jafar. Do you remember in the book of Exodus when Pharaoh did not let God's people go? God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, oh no, I will not let your people go. So God sent frogs. He sent locusts. He sent the deaf angel. But this time, right around Matthew chapter 2, God said, I'm done sending things. I'm done sending Moses. I'm done sending Abraham. I'm going to become a man myself and I'm going to free them myself. Self, the Son of God. He sent Jesus Christ. Yo, yo, yeah. Give God praise for that. Amen and amen. But you must not know who him is. I'm talking about the one who's co-eternal and co-equal with God the Father. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's the bread of life. He's the one who is and is to come. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 with a lunchable. He opened up blind ears. He opened up, he opened up blind eyes. He opened up deaf ears. He's God in the flesh. When you read the gospel, disease wasn't stronger than him. Demons were not stronger than him. Nothing was stronger than him. And when it came to our salvation, Sin wasn't strong. Oh, I'm trying to preach it how I feel it. Sin wasn't stronger than him. Hey, if we can get excited about the Bears winning, if we can get excited about the Cubs winning, if we can get excited about the White Sox winning, surely we can get excited that God has freed us from our bondage of sin. I wish I had some people in here who's been set free from the power of sin. Something. But when God set the people of Israel free, he didn't set them free so that they can do what they wanted to do. He didn't set them free so they can go into the desert and sin. He set them free so that they would worship him. He set them free so that they would praise him. Christian, God set you free so that you can worship him. You ought to raise your hands. You ought to open up your mouth. You ought to say something to God because of what he's done. We ought to give our lives to God. And God spread at that Red Sea so that his people can get out. And he drowned their enemies. God drowned our sin. He drowned our chains. He drowned all those who would come against us. And he did it so that we may worship him. Glory be to God. Something has happened to us. Paul makes it clear that Christians, all of us, should have a contrast. All of us should have had a B.C. and an A.D. That is, before Christ and after deliverance. You should have had a before Christ and after deliverance. He says, in our B.C., We were slaves to sin, but now in our A.D., 
we have become obedient to the heart and are slaves of righteousness. And our BC, slaves to sin, and our AD, slaves to righteousness. What has happened? Why doesn't sin have power over us in our AD? Look back up at verse 14. Come up close and listen because this is critical. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. The reason sin doesn't have power over the believer in his or her everyday life is because we are under grace and not under the law. Hold your seatbelts, because I almost shouted when I was writing this, but hold on. You see, in our BC, we are under the law. But in our AD, we are under grace. Now, what's the difference? What difference does grace make that the law does not? Now, come up real close. To be under the law means law-keeping is the way we will provide a righteousness that let us stand before God. We try to live a righteous life by our human effort. But that's impossible. The problem is we are never righteous enough. Let me let that sit for a second. We're never righteous enough. We never will be. The problem is that we're never righteous enough, nor do we have the power in ourselves to overcome sin. So no matter how hard we try in our human effort to fight sin, Sin continues to win and exercise dominion over us because sin is stronger than us. Sin has rock bottomed us. Sin has stone cold stunner us. Y'all remember WWF, right? Every time you tried to get away with sin, sin would be like, and slam you right to the ground. Every time you tried to overcome sin, sin will slam you down to the ground. But that was in my BC. But now we're in our AD and we are under grace. And the thing about grace is grace works different than the law. The law tells us what to do and tell us what we need to do, but it doesn't give us any power to do. It's like a stop sign. A stop sign tells you to stop, but you can't. But the stop sign cannot make you stop. However, grace instructs us, then it turns around and it empowers us. The reason we are victorious over sin in our everyday lives is in our AD. We were under, we are under grace. The beautiful thing about being under grace is God is for you. In my BC, I didn't have God with me. But in my AD, I got God with me. So seeing when I show up this time, I don't show up by myself. I show up with God on my side. So bring it on. And God is stronger, he's bigger, he's better than sin. I knew some of y'all may not believe me, so I brought a scripture for you. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God says that I will take out the heart of stone and I will put in the heart of flesh so that they beat for me. Watch verse 20. He says this, watch what a new heart does in verse 20, that they may what? Walk in my statutes and keep my rules. Come on, epic guys, and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What happened to those epic boys? God put a new heart in them that is causing them to walk in his ways. 
You see, God does a work on the inside so that we might be obedient on the outside. But not only that, not only does he give us a new heart, but he gives us his Holy Spirit. Did you hear me? He gives you his Holy Spirit. You go one day without the Holy Spirit, and you're going back to what you used to be. Watch this. Let's get a sneak preview of the verses to come. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friend, God has put his Spirit in you so that Jafar will no longer be your boss. We need something stronger than our intellect, something more clever than our schemes. We needed power. We needed power, church. Do you guys Remember Popeye, the sailor man? Y'all remember Popeye, the sailor man? Oh, I used to love Popeye. And I love when Pastor John Charlie Dates used this illustration. Popeye was a bad boy. Popeye, y'all see him up there, right? Y'all remember his girl? His girl was olive oil. Yeah, olive oil. Now, I got to admit, as Charlie Dates said, I don't know what Popeye seen in olive oil. I really don't. As discerning as, as the children's eyes are to, to love, I, I, just didn't, I, just, I just didn't get it. But, but Papa, so, Papa reminded, me, reminded me of something. Papa was loyal to his girl. Do y'all remember his enemy? His name was Brutus. Y'all remember big, big Brutus, big, big burly Brutus. There he is right there. One episode, Brutus walks up to Papa and he hits Papa so hard. Papa started flying over cities and, and, and buildings and restaurants, and Papa would just land on his back. And Brutus will come over, he'll pick Papa up in a restaurant and start cleaning tables with Papa. But I didn't watch Papa the Sailor Man because he used to get beat up. Somewhere out of nowhere, you remember, he'll go to his belt and he'll say, I've taken all that I can take. And he'll pop that can, and some spinach will shoot up, and it will go down into Papa, and he'll start boiling up and things like this, and all of a sudden, the thing that was beating up on Popeye, Popeye is now beating up on him. You might not know where I'm going. When God got in the inside of us, the thing that was beating up on us, we start beating up on it. You said, where's my spinach? Your spinach is the word of God. The more it gets down, the more it gets down, on the inside, the stronger I become, I'm stronger when his word is in me. But your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a guide. It's something about when Holy Spirit spinach gets on the inside. Pornography, no power over me. Uh -huh, uh, 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 anger, no power over me. That coworker who used to irritate you and mess with you, now that you got your Holy Spirit spinach down in the inside, you go to work, a brand new person, smiling and teasing, and the things that would have beat you up, the things that would have upset you, you got to take a bathroom break because you got to go look in the mirror and say, back then, I would have cussed her out. Back then, my day would have been messed up. But all of a sudden, I'm responding with love. I'm responding with joy. I'm responding with peace. Why? Because you got spinach down on the inside of you.
Popeye would do a number on Brutus. But Christians, believe me, in the room, now that we have been set free, now that we have spinach down in the inside, now that Jafar is no longer our master, now that we have experienced a BC and an AD, what ought we do with this body? What ought we do with these eyes? What ought we do with these hands? Christians ought to live for God. Now, when I say that, you ought not be afraid anymore because God's given you a new heart and he's given you a Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be scared anymore and say, I don't know if I can beat this thing. I came to tell you that it's already defeated Amen. through Jesus Christ. Watch what Paul says in verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitation. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Friends, Paul makes it clear in our last verse that as believers, we should not have one foot in A.D. and one foot in B.C. In our B.C., we gave our bodies over to sin. Paul is saying you used to live as servants, habitually serving impurity and lawlessness. But now that you have your AD, now that God is with you, now that you have a new heart, you ought to give your bodies over to God. Friends, to what degree shall we give ourselves over to God? Well, Paul makes it clear. With the same intensity, we gave ourselves over to sin. When I went to the club, I wasn't on chill mode. When I sinned, I sinned. I went all the way. I'm glad that there's no book in the Bible about Dexter Harris. They probably wouldn't let me preach. We were committed and faithful to sin. We need to now, with the same intensity, commit ourselves to God. Why? Because this life is not our own. We belong to God. It is the Christian's delight to serve God. This is not forced slavery. We have been set free, but we use our freedom to serve God. This is what Fannie Lou Hamer understood. This is what William Tyndale understood. This is what Paul understood, that their life was not their own. God gave them a new heart and set them free, and they gave their lives to the kingdom of God. Now, I know. I know, I know, if you're sitting there, excuse me, pastor, preacher man, reverend, whatever your name is, uh, this past week I ain't been doing so good, so does that mean that I don't belong to God anymore? Uh, a couple months ago I did something really, really horrible, and, and I ain't been telling nobody about it. Does that mean that, that I'm not in God anymore? That's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is that this past month in October, I started going to the gym. Y'all got to understand that it's been a struggle for me. I thought I heard God last night, but it was actually a pack of Oreos, and I had to, I'm just be, I'm being honest. Can I be real? Can I be open this morning? And so, and so, so gluttony had 
that power over me and I still fight and I still struggle with it. But every time I go to the gym, I get stronger and bigger and better in the gluttony that in the laziness that had power over me or was tempting me has become weaker and weaker. And Christian, I came to tell you, you keep reading, you keep praying, you keep increasing in your knowledge of God and the stronger and bigger and better you'll become over your sin. Now, when I walked in that gym, I seen some guys in there, big like Brutus, uh, in the gym, and I'm just like, God, you know what? I can't do this. These guys are, are, are big and strong, and they're, they got like three plates on each end of, of the waist set. I, was, I attempted to do it. I just couldn't get it up off the bar. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. What I had to realize is that, 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 that they started, they had a beginning like I had a beginning. And sometimes we compare ourselves to Paul and we compare ourselves to Fannie Lou Hamer. It's just that they've been in the gym longer than us. But as long as we stay committed as well, God can do the same thing through you. God can do the same thing through you. All you got to do is keep showing up. And when you go to the gym, people are in all kind of, uh, in all kind of lanes. You got some that are skinny, some that are strong, some of those who are overweight, but all of us are working towards one goal, and that is to be fit. Friends, you say, Dex, what is the goal? What is the picture? What should we be running for? There's no one else that I want to put before you than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us what it is to be obedient to God unto death. Don't have an equality with God, did not consider equality with God, but humbled himself to become a man, suffering death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in his last hours, says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Friends, we may not do this perfectly, but there is one who has went before us that has done it perfectly. And as long as he lives, we can get up and we can keep trying and we can keep going. So my prayer for you, church, is in light of what God has done in your, B, in your AD, that you will love others better than yourselves. You would give yourselves to teaching others. You would care for the weak. You would feed the poor. You would give yourselves to prayer. You would labor and worship. You would give yourselves to truth. And you would stand for what is right, that you would hate what is evil, and may God fill you with his spirit in every part of your life. I leave you with this question and this paradox. Is the Lord Jesus your master this morning? Who are you obey obeying? What are you living for? When you leave here in a few minutes, when you consider the week that you would live, who do you plan to serve? Will it be Jafar? Or will it be Jesus? And here's the paradox. Being a slave to God will be the most freedom you have ever experienced. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. How about we sing that truth one more time? While we stand on our feet and lift our hands to heaven, and declare the awesome truth that who the Son sets free yes. is free indeed. Whom the Son sets free 
is free. How about we say it together? Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's say it one more time. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's lift our hands to heaven this morning.